Will you turn me up? was Britney Spears' Don't Keep Me Waiting, featuring Travis Barker. Hi, my name is James Rodriguez, the host of The Original Doll with James Rodriguez. On the show, we unpackage music with the people who create it, and at the same time, we give back to charity. So for every question or guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. For more information, visit the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. A big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. Because of you, we're able to help keep this show going. And if you'd like to join, visit the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. Now, we're going to be talking to collaborator of Don't Keep Me Waiting and Janet Jackson's Make Me and Janet Jackson's Night. That's right. So for those Britney and Janet fans, we have something for both of you. Today's guest is Michaela Shiloh. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you do in fact see any of these audio snippets leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Now we're going to get right to the show. My name is James Rodriguez. This is The Original Doll. All right, everyone, I would like to welcome you back to the original Dow with James Rodriguez. On the original Dow, I unpackage music with the people who created it, and we give back to charity. So for every question or guest answers, we get items donated to women and children at domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens, and more. Today, we are joined by somebody who has hit many fandoms with their talents, and we are fortunate enough to have Michaela Shiloh. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, James. I appreciate you so much. I really, really do. Oh my God. It's it's been so fun because you are somebody you've come up with several people on on the show before that you've been collaborators with and everything. And it's it's people are like, James, why haven't you gotten her on? It's like people, this has been I feel like a year it was this was last year that we that we started like a discussion yeah, yeah. and it's like because she is busy Michaela Shallow is busy aren't so. we all aren't we all 
I love it. But I want to kind of rewind back because I have questions from fans of your music and everything. And I want to go back because we're going to talk about everything, your career, mm -hmm. all of the businesses, the great businesses. And I want to talk about several specifically uh, today. But let's rewind back and let's talk about how did music become a part of your life? Great question. Um, music was always a part of my life from as far back as I can remember. Um, my mom just recently reminded me that when I was two, I would dance to, um, what's that E-40 song? Don't go chasing waterfalls with TLC, right? Like in my car seat, <laughs> dancing to that. And then uh, my dad, he was a rapper. My My parents were teen parents, by the way. So my dad was 16, 17 when he was in a rap group. So I grew up around hip hop. You know, I was a huge fan of Missy Elliott, uh, Eminem, Method Man, Red Man, um, all of the the OGs back then. And my dad was someone I really looked up to. I'd go to the studio with him sometimes as a kid. And yeah, so music was always a part of my life. And my first dream was to be a famous rapper, which is so weird. I'm having a full circle moment now that I'm doing my artist stuff uh, and I'm fo more focused on rap now than I am on this, this singer songwriter vibe. So yeah, always what's been, a part. What's been really cool is that as I go back through not only your own, you know, albums and your own work, but looking at the eclectic nature of your discography for your collaborations, mm. because oh, yeah. you hint like on the, the R&B, the soul, the rock, the pop, mm -hmm. the kind of new wave, and you do it so seamlessly which is why I'm always confused as to like what did you work on because I'm so because you're all over the place in, in yeah. such a great way yeah but for you then let me ask you this when did you then realize okay music job money when did you think this is something that I could do and at the time of all of us going you could probably make millions, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> everybody yeah. you saw Michaela's face. Yeah, yeah, face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, you quickly find out that that's not the case. Um, but I was, so I was discovered on MySpace Music in 2007 um, by someone named Chad Dexter. He was Chad Beats at the time. Uh, he was signed to G-Unit. And he was the first, I was 15, right? He was the first person that told me, that songwriting was an actual job. I remember we started working and we'd go back and forth on, what was it at the time? iChat? I don't even remember what it was called. AIM? I don't know. I'd be talking to all these different, I am, whatever, AIM, whatever it was. We're going back and forth. He sent me a beat one day and he was like, this is for Ashley Simpson. And I was like, wait, what do you mean it's for Ashley Simpson? He's like, write us, we're going to write a song for Ashley Simpson. And my heart would drop because I was like, first of all, I was excited that, oh my God, I'm writing a song for Ashley Simpson that she's going to sing. And then the second thought was, wait, she doesn't write her own songs. Like, I didn't know that that the songwriter was a job, literally mind blown. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, which is funny, parallel to your story, you like grew up reading liner notes and stuff. I never did that. I just got the, you know, the 50 Cent album and I listened to it and it was 50 Cent, which it is. Um, Long story short. Um, Chad was the first one to, to tell me about the songwriting role. I didn't think about money because I was 15 and my mom paid all the bills. I wasn't thinking about money. I think once I got to college, you know, I was 18, moved to LA. I was signed to Dark Child at the time. That's when I started thinking about money because I'm like, oh, shit, I have a bank account now and it's like there's nothing in there. 
And I know that there's successful songwriters, but how do I get there? I also started getting big placements and I was like, hmm, you don't get publishing money until a year later anyway. And also it depends what percentage you get on the song. My percentages were low, anywhere from five to 20% publishing and they weren't on singles either. So it's like, you realize mm. very quickly that it's like, oh, this is not gonna be lucrative <laughs> unless I get a single and I wrote damn near half or more of the song. Um, so hopefully that answers, answers the question. I found out when I was 15 that songwriting was a job. I wasn't thinking about the money aspect until a few years later. And then I was heavily disappointed by what that actually looks like. Even with plaques on your wall, it, it means nothing in, in reflection to your actual bank account for sure. Well, and that, that was something I talked about with, uh, Megan Catoni a, a couple okay, years yeah. back who worked a lot with, yeah. uh, Little Mix and, and Kylie. And yeah. she said, you know, there's a point where even some of the streams, she's like, great. I had a song that streamed so well and it was like gold. And when I called and said, hey, record label, put my, you know, the money that I made from that towards that. They're like, sorry, you didn't make enough to get your your that, plaque. Yeah, the threshold. Yeah, the thresholds. And and that's the, the common denominator throughout this whole, throughout my years of, of doing this and interviewing people is how so many people didn't realize how there's so many hoops that you have to jump through and at any point the person behind the contract could be like you know what it wasn't on a 92 degree day that you did that song it was only on a 90 <laughs> degree day so you're not getting all that and mercury is in retrograde so stop. it's not <laughs> quite literally whole reason i started my own music industry but anyway that's a whole other conversation and and we're <laughs> gonna and we're gonna get to that but the, the yeah. crazy thing is looking at this because you are coming into your own as a songwriter you know like the the 2007 2008 2009 yeah, yeah yeah and that was a time when really people were like wait is this itunes thing going to take off is myspace the way to go and we're talking like during that yeah, yeah. time yeah. and so how did you make sure that you were staying as up to date on what to do like where where's the where are these songs going how did you stay up to date on yeah okay, I'm not trying to make duplicate song of the number one song right now. I need to think future. Mm. How did you do that? How did you keep all that going? Being such yeah. a young human yeah. being in general. Yeah. Honestly, I wasn't listening to top 40 or anything like that. I In high school, when I was songwriting, started songwriting professionally, I was listening to a lot of like rock music. I was listening to like Alter Bridge and fucking Phil Collins, even though that's not really rock. But, um, you know, anyway, their names are escaping me now. All the bands I was listening to, Crossfade by, what was it? Went looking back at me. <laughs> See, whatever. I was a little rockhead. I wasn't listening to top 40. So when I would sit, get back home and, and work with Chad via I am also John Asher was actually who introduced me to dark child. Um, so I was going back and forth collaborating with him. We weren't listening to anything else. We were just making music that we liked. So um, as far as keeping up to date with anything, I wasn't, and I still actually don't today. I don't listen. It's crazy. I don't listen to music. I listen to my own music. I listen to some of my artists' music, but for the most part, I'm just creating what feels good to me. And I think that's how you continue to push the envelope forward. And also I listened back at music I made in that era, 2007 to 2012. I was making music that was so far ahead. Like people hadn't even caught up to that sound yet. I hear music today that I'm like, man, I was already doing that 10 years ago. Y'all just hadn't caught up yet. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my experience with it. It's just making what I like regardless well, of what's out. 
Well, and that's the, I think that's the difference in, excuse me, somebody who is a person who loves music versus somebody who makes music to make money. Do you know what I mean? Like Totally. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And I think you've been able to do that. We actually have one question from Keith here in the States about songwriting. He said, uh, Mickey, how do you keep creating and not get so tired of music? You are very prolific and seem to work nonstop. How do you keep from burnout? You're so great. Oh, Keith. I love Keith. Whoever, whatever Keith in the world that is. I have burned out a million times. I've had burnouts that last eight, eight years, no, eight months. I've had burnouts that last eight months, like where I don't listen to music, my music or otherwise. The last one I had like that was uh, 20, yeah, 2011. I had eight months of depression that just were terrifying. So do I keep making music without burnout? No, I do burn out. I'm now that I have my own business and I'm not like a full-time artist or full-time songwriter, it's, it's less, way less burnout. I haven't burned out in so long. Um, but I think the key is really prioritizing self-care, which is so hard as an artist. Cause like we have this, um, attraction to toxicity sometimes because we like to write mm-hmm. about certain things. <laughs> so it's really just growing up and like prioritizing sleep over drinking and writing more songs. <laughs> Um, it happens. It happens. But yeah, I wish I had the perfect answer for someone that experiences that. You just got to live through it and find out what works for you in terms of balancing life and creativity um, and then commit to a plan to take care of yourself because you're not going to be able to write songs forever if you don't take care of yourself. So Well, and I think what you said is kind of important, I think, especially for the creatives, because it's like you need the time to really be human and let it all pass through because I yeah. feel like you know, for the longest time, we we don't talk about mental health or mental health care or anything. And I love that you've been somebody who talks openly about that. And also, I think as somebody who experiences more, I think that also gives you more fodder for future songs, for future stories to tell. Um, Because I feel like it becomes disingenuous if somebody's like, okay, I'm working against the muse that I've created, working against her. And then none of the music is working. And it's like, well, because you're not writing from this this genuine place of creativity. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Got to get in flow. And that happens best when you're not super stressed out for sure. Yeah. So we have, we have several questions about your work with Janet Jackson. Now I want to point this out that make me song from the number one's album uh, (laughs) came out in 2009. Now this is the part that I think is so insane is I look at many people saying, oh, in my career, in my 30s or 40s, I was hoping to get a Janet Jackson cut. (laughs) If you don't mind saying how old you were when you started working on the project, because I think this is an important thing because we always talk about these artists that are out there that are 16, 17, doing this sort of thing. And here you are being an artist and being creative and then an icon cuts your song so let's let's talk about janet jackson make me that whole time um yeah i was 17 that was my first major major placement my first generally major placement was twista when i was 15 i was singing a hook on i think his album was called f5 the song was called jump off Yeah. So it's so crazy also that you mentioned like the age thing. I was 17 when that came out. I posted something on TikTok recently. Um, I was talking about some of my history and um, (laughs) 
so many people were commenting about me, like, who is this hag? I've never heard of her. Um, Janet, how old were you? A, a negative amount of years old? Like, her last album came out in the 90s. And I'm like, first of all, you're not a real Janet fan if you think her last album came out in the 90s. <laughs> but I understand me being so young. They're like, you're lying. It's like, wow. So that's been kind of crazy. So I signed to Dark Child in 2009. And the first project that he had us working on, he was like, oh, we're, you know, this summer we're working on Janet. It was summer 2009 um she would be at the studio um she ordered like she needed a white couch white candles uh, <laughs> a workout bike in there um, and then I was fortunate enough to get to meet her uh, kind of in the middle of that process when we'd been writing for her for a while. And Tommy Parker really, I mean, Tommy Parker is the goat in this situation. He had it in his mind. He's like, I'm going to genuinely befriend this person. I want to get in her head in the best way possible. I want to, um, you know, really just dominate this whole sh And here he is damn near... 15 years later, still working with her on stuff. And he really, I just got to give all of the props to Tommy. He's also the one that brought me in on, on night in 2015, right? Without him, I wouldn't have been even involved in that. And my part was very minor on night. Make Me was something I demoed fully. Um, it was me, Tommy, and Dark Child. We wrote that together in the studio. It was a very collaborative process between us three. Um, so that one is definitely my my pride and joy in terms of what we did with Janet. Um, one thing that's funny is because I was so young demoing the vocals. I remember Dark Child at one point saying like that Tommy should start uh, should start demoing the songs because like I just sounded so young on them. <laughs> He's like, Tommy, you have to put your Janet voice on because Michaela sounds so young right now. So that was kind of funny. Um, it was a really good time. We did man. We probably wrote a hundred or more songs for her over that summer. And, um, you know, then of course she, she only picks, I think she recorded a lot of them. Um, but then, you know, only a couple will ever make it on. And that was the one that made it make me. And that was the first music video I saw of um, an artist doing a song that I'd written. So, so cool. That's so, so cool. So and cool. it is like definitive Janet. Like it's like this oh, dance yeah. video. Like it's oh, almost yeah, it minimalistic so cool. and it's so yep. her and it was this performance. And yep. so did you know then that this was going to be on a greatest hits album? No. Or were they just like, hey, we're going to come together and work on some songs and it might be a, a full album? Because I feel like yeah. it might be different the, the them saying, hey, this is the greatest hits. We're including these 12 songs. We need something other. Do you know what I mean? I don't remember it being, it's going to be a greatest hits album. I just remember it being promoted as, hey guys, we're working on an album. We're working on our album. Um, that was my experience with that. And I think that I like that it was on the greatest hits album because again, like people were such fans of the old music too. So it just brought more attention to the ultimate project. Yeah, no, I mean, it. I, I have such fond memories of that time and meeting her, I was so nervous it's so funny the picture of us me and tommy parker it looks like i'm so calm i was shaking i was shaking <laughs> it was so crazy she's so beautiful and so sweet anyway that's my it's like expectation my you're like and then reality like, right 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 <laughs> same with my j all that's of my true. pictures with these with these uh celebs like i look so calm but i'm like oh my god uh 
Janet's touching my shoulder. Oh my God, JLo is touching my motherfucking shoulder right now. <laughs> You're like freaking out. Yeah, See, th so cool. This is this is the part that I love because it's like here you are you're you're working with somebody who already has a discography. It's like Janet doesn't need to answer anything anymore. She doesn't need to prove herself or no, anything. No. And she picks this song that is just so. It was so fun, and I remember hearing it. I was like, "This is everything I wanted." And on the number ones album, everyone, which you can still get, Target has them and everything. It has "What Have You Done for Me Lately," "Nasty," Aww. "Together Again," "Doesn't Really Matter," "Make Me," and "Nothing," and several mm -hmm. other. I mean, those are all iconic songs. So when you yeah. and people, you can buy the digital version on iTunes and everything. But the cool mm. thing is, it fits so well with all those songs. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, okay. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I remember, because um, I think it was June, please forgive me if I messed this date up, it was June 2009 when Michael passed away, or it was that summer, and it June was like, June 25th. Right... Yes, correct. Because it was and on my was... birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. That must have been a wild birthday. Um, All of that to say, I remember one of the reasons we put, don't stop till you get it up, in there was in honor, of course um of him because that had just happened and it's interesting because you don't think about the publishing side of things when you're doing that it was Rodney's idea to put that in there Dark Child um and then you look at the splits later and you're like all right well Michael got his fair share I love that I mean it's fine I wasn't tripping I'm like I'm on a Janet song but yeah on the business side you do it you learn a lot of things when you start sampling and and uh using melodies from previous major songs <laughs> yeah uh we we talked about that with frankie storm who did don't stop the music with rihanna oh, and she's like <laughs> I can't yeah, and so she's like you're excited and she goes but if you ever sample anything just just be aware that you're going to get a lot less than you think even yes. what you think yes. so just oh, be yes. prepared for it yes so, exactly I remember when in my interview with Tommy and everyone, if you haven't listened to those interviews, just go scroll oh, through uh, the song go. list. Because um, he talked about how quick everything was. He was like, make oh, me. Yeah. It was, here it is, boom. Oh, and yeah. then it was out just oh, months yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same with and, Britney stuff too, yeah. Well, and so then let me ask you this. So you get make me. At what point do you know, okay, she's cutting it and releasing it and it's do you know what I mean and it's gonna be at a greatest mm. hits because there had to this to me made the most sense it was this transition for her as an artist and going I'm giving you something to kind of have in place and I wondered if you know Michael's death played a part in the change of what she was going to release like you know what let's just put something upbeat let's just get mm. out there do you know what I mean because right. I I remember thinking usually you know way ahead of time with other people that have worked on other greatest hits compilation they said oh this is specifically for a compilation these are the songs we already have so give us something different so you would know you know what i mean at that time yeah. so working on this how fast then did you find out oh not only is it going to be cut by her it's going to be recorded and the video yeah. and it's a single you know what i mean well when did it come out in october of that year when did i'm like about september 20th september that's right yeah, I mean, we started working in the summertime. And again, like, like we were recording, I would say five, six, seven songs a day, literally like me, Tommy writing in one of the rooms. And then she would be there and she would be cutting songs. I didn't know what songs she was cutting when she was cutting them. Um, so, I mean, it had to have been, like Tommy said, really quick. I mean, you even look at the timeline, it was quick. I assume it was 
by the end of the summer, I don't know the exact month, but maybe it was July or August when they're like, it was cut, first of all, because I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. And the video is happening and it's coming out on on the greatest hits. Yeah, I assume it was within a month or two of us even writing the song. I remember it being pretty, yeah, pretty quick. And that's typically, of course, not the experience. Other songs- That's what I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> other songs I've written. Also, you'll get placements on songs you wrote years ago. Like you'll start shopping songs you wrote again to like other A&Rs and stuff. The only experience I've had with it being that quick is when you're working with the artist directly. Like same with Britney. It was, you know- we wrote a whole bunch of demos the same way we did for the Janet project. And like, it's like, you find out a couple months later, it's coming out. <laughs> um, and anytime I work with an artist one-on-one, -on -one, LL Cool J, Vic Mensa, like whoever it is, when you're working with them, it comes out. Yeah. Tends so to. I was going to say, because that, that was another question. They said uh, we had, it was Wendy from, I think it's Wendy, W-E-N-D-I-E. -E, sorry if not, uh, from Peru. She said, Oh my God, getting Janet to cut a song early on in your career is a dream for anyone, let alone mm. early on in your career. How did it feel afterwards seeing that not every situation happens? Fair question. <laughs> so great. Yeah, you get this like amazing start to your career and then you're like thrust into the real music industry. And, and I'm not saying working with Dark Child wasn't real, but it was just like the ideal, right? Because like he has all these artists coming through, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Ray J, uh, Kelly Rowland, like all these artists. It's just like un an unreal experience. Um, how did it feel? It was, yeah, once I left that situation uh, when I was 19, yeah, again, you're just thrust into reality. Like, damn, oh, this is hard. This is really hard. A&Rs don't reply to you. Managers don't care. <laughs> Artists are hard to get in touch with. Thankfully, though, I had had such a good network built there that expanded beyond um, the experience. Like, again, Tommy Parker, one of my best friends still to this day. Tommy Brown, still one of my really great friends. Harmony Samuels, you know, uh, D-Mile. I'm not as close to D-Mile, but like that's someone that I can reach out to anytime um so it's really amazing the gift that I was given but yeah to answer the question it's shocking you're like damn the the rest of the industry is not like this <laughs> at all you just get ignored basically until you meet one person that's like willing to say yes to you yeah and that, it's, it's that's tough. the part where it's, it's just so amazing I think somebody so early on in any career to go yeah oh here's here's Janet I was Jackson. spoiled <laughs> I was spoiled, completely spoiled, but also prepared. I was so prepared to do that. I had done so much work. I started recording myself when I was 12 years old. Um, I still have my, you know, my setup, same setup, mic, speakers, everything. This is how I started. I did the work. I did my 10,000 hours starting at 12 years old. So it's not mm -hmm. to say I, I didn't deserve it or that I was lucky even. I was so prepared to get in the studio with one of the biggest producers in the world at 16, 17 and go in the booth and sing a melody and kill it. Like that was all the work I did. It just happened to be really young when I did it. So, and I'm thankful for that because it, I'm not like 35 getting out of a deal. I'm 31. I got out of my deal with him, my publishing deal when I was 24. It went on a lot longer than I wanted it to. Um, and I don't mind saying that. I tried getting out of it when I was 19, 20, 21, but we just had to let the seven years run out because they were very unresponsive in letting me out of my publishing deal. Um, but again, very thankful and grateful for the entire experience. Like what an incredible way to start your songwriting career.
hopping out for a quick second now if you're a fan of janet jackson remixes in the background you're going to hear the dave Day remix now for the returning guest you know i interviewed dave Day about his work with so many icons including britney spears and janet jackson just go to the podcast streaming uh, platform that you're using right now scroll through his name but i wanted to talk about the success of make me And in the United States, it would go number one on the U.S. Dance Club songs. And this is amazing because this would be one of Janet Jackson's 20 number one songs on that chart. Additionally, it would go number seven on the U.K. R&B charts. It would go number 17 in Japan, number 28 in South Korea. I bring this up because it's important to still talk about the global impact of Janet Jackson. Not only did she have this global impact in the 80s, 90s, the aughts, and on, Oftentimes, people overlook and don't see that Janet Jackson has had and continues to have success globally. And if you've checked out any of my Instagram reels, which uh, Janet Jackson herself has been kind enough to share on her page, I talk about the global impact of her music, and I don't want that to be overlooked. So not only was this a number one song here in the United States, it was also a hit in other countries. Now we're going to get right back to this and continue my conversation with Michaela Shiloh. Back to the show. This is is what I love. So now I want to to hop to the the Britney time. Now there's a ton of questions. So we have Joaquin from Brazil said, Original Doll, if you ask questions to Mickey, can you please ask how many songs that Britney recorded with her music? (laughs) I love Mickey's new album. James, you recommend the whole album. I still like and play Don't Play With King, Keep Rocking Mickey. Oh, I love that. How wait, so the question was how many songs did she record or how yeah. many we wrote? I I mean honestly, I don't know the answer to how many songs she recorded. Um she was very and I mean this in the best way possible, very mechanical in terms of coming in for a few hours, recording and leaving. She was someone at that time and I don't know if it was always like this in in her career, but I don't believe she was listening to playback. She just cut the her parts and then the engineer does their magic. It's very much a job. Like it was a job for her. Mm-hmm. She wasn't there to socialize. Like I'm cutting the songs, whatever. So I don't know the amount of songs. I know she was in and out um, a lot over a few months because he was working on the album. Dark Child was working on the album with her. Um, and but I will say again, I can say how many songs we wrote for her and and, and I demoed. Again, probably close to a hundred or more. Like I, when I was going to USC, cause I was working and going to USC at the same time working. I mean, by being in the studio, that was work for me. I would leave class at 4 PM and I would go to the studio, his studio in Hollywood, Dark Child Studio until 10, 11 midnight. Um, and that whole time I was recording. So five songs a day, maybe times, however many months, you're going to get to a hundred or more demos. It was very quick process for us. So yeah, I mean, I'm assuming she cut, if I had to guess, maybe 40 songs. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me if she cut 40, but that's just a random guesstimate. Who knows? Who knows? Well, and that, w- that was one of those things talking to you, because I've talked to producers, songwriters, people from the first album all the way through the most recent, and many of them said there was the point, and, and people now look back in the conservatorship era, where it was like, she came yeah. in, she yeah. was there, you know, if her time was 10 o'clock to one o'clock, she yeah. went in recorded and then left that was it yep Yep. and they said have everything ready that you need have her go and a couple people mentioned before that there was like other artists would be like can you play this back for me i want to hear this that it was just the point she's like okay i'm just gonna do this yeah let me just let me just do this get it done you guys know what to do and leave so 
We have a, another question from Francis from Canada. She said, James, I love your interviews with people who work with Britney. Can you please ask Mickey Shiloh how cool it is to hear her voice on a song she made for Britney? Don't keep me waiting. I can hear oh. Mickey's voice throughout and it goes so good with Britney's voice. How do you like hearing your voice with Britney's voice? I think we sound amazing. I think we need to do a duet. <laughs> Honestly, like a real ass duet. I love, I was always a huge Britney fan. I love her voice. I loved her performance capabilities. Like, She's next level. Um, it was really surreal for me, having been a fan of her music for so long, too. Um, and honestly, it was just an honor. It was really an honor. I got to do backgrounds on a couple other songs, too. There was another song, um, He About to Lose, About to Lose Me. Um, I did backgrounds on that as well. I There might have been one other song I did backgrounds on, too. I'd, I'd have to go through the album. What Dark Child would do is when she would cut the song, um, if there was something he wanted me to do extra layering on or something like that, extra backgrounds. Again, just backgrounds. Um, I would never sing any leads for her. Actually, nope, I'm lying. I'm lying. Don't keep me waiting. The pre-hook. Um, I'm trying to remember it right before the hook comes in. I think the lead is mostly me actually on that. Hurry up for my demonstration. So give undivided attention. Okay. Light speed. Turbo. To get to me. Don't play. Jerk around. One shot. So give it and again it's it's not necessarily because um it's she didn't perform it well or something like that it might just be a producer's decision because they like how a certain tone sounds um so so yeah but it was a dream come true honestly total dream come true we have another question from jose in mexico he said Mickey, I learned a lot about supporting songwriters and producers from James's show. Do you get mad when your demos leak? And do you like when people post them on their sites? James, you told me to listen to Mickey's song, New Friends. I love her voice so much. It is so oh. good and rock. Oh, I love that. Um, do I get mad? I don't, I don't think mad is the right emotion. I think I'm, it feels like an invasion. It feels like an invasion of privacy because you're also wondering where did someone get this song? How did they get this song? It's really just an unknown and it feels like an invasion. I don't think, I'm not upset. I'm just like, ugh. I just feel this like ugh, icky feeling um, because it's it wasn't intended for the world to hear or to have access to. It was really, it also, you got to think about this. If an artist wants to continue or a songwriter wants to continue shopping a song to other artists, it makes it really difficult when the demo is actually released. So you're really actually kind of stopping people's money flow <laughs> when when you're dropping or leaking those songs. So yeah, it, it's, it's an invasion more than anything. Um, unfortunately, yeah. I don't like it. I don't think any songwriter likes it. <laughs> and so so for the the listeners, if there are those people that put stuff on YouTube with your without your consent, if the people put it on their website, it's also you... illegal. <laughs> you're, so you're like remove them. Remove them. Remove them, please. It's illegal <laughs> and and ridiculous and there's other ways to to I guess go about I don't know what the way would to be go go about that legally. Yeah, no, just don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> There it's you rude. go. Well, and so something that, you know, I've been really promoting on here is buy the physical, buy those, buy the full album, buy that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So when you, so there are so many people that go, James, don't keep me waiting. I really want it on the the standard album. I really, can you ask, you know, Mickey, can you, I, I was like, 
Michaela cannot do. I cannot she, she, put that on the me. standard. <laughs> excuse me, Mr. Sony. Can you just yeah, right, Sony? right. Uh, and so I yeah. think there are there are some people that just might feel entitled to be like, well, I'm going to put it out there then if if you know if if you haven't sort of thing. But there's also, especially with any bonus tracks that like right here, I'm holding up. It's back here, the mm-hmm. Japanese edition of Femme Fatale oh. with "Don't Keep Me Waiting." Yeah, where it's people are like oh just put it up and it's there are so many different contracts there are so many different things that happened for it to be on there and there's a specific reason why some songs are bonus tracks yeah something else that we learned you know from from a couple years ago is that there was a point where rodney was going to be the rodney britney project that that's what you were all were working on and then it shifted and then became a dr luke led kind of thing yeah. When something like that happens with you as a creative behind the scenes going, okay, I'm working. And chances are, if you're working with somebody who's, let's say, going to executive produce an album, you're like, oh, I, I, I'm in a good camp. We're working. Yeah, We're yeah. getting stuff done. Yeah. How do you then mentally prepare yourself when there's like almost kind of an abrupt, uh, just kidding. Yeah. We're now shifting to somewhere else. How do you as a creative mentally deal with that if that makes sense no it totally makes sense I to be honest I don't remember what that realization was like for me back then I don't think that it was ever um presented to us in a way like hey well now Dr. Luke is taking the lead I wasn't in any way disappointed because I'm like I have a Britney song period that's coming out um I'm trying to think of instances in my career maybe where that has happened I guess like Maybe the closest thing I can think of is when you're working with a producer that you're so sure you're going to get a placement with because of their history with the artists in the past. And then you realize maybe, damn, like it doesn't look like it's going that way. For instance, I would go to writing camps for like Rihanna writing camps that her label would throw or that, you know, producers that knew her would throw for her. I was doing that for years and years. I had met her at one of them in 2015. It was really dope. But Deputy, for instance, Deputy is a producer. He did Bitch But I Have My Money for Rihanna. When I started working with him and going to the camp with him in 2015, I was like, oh, I for sure got this in the bag. And then you realize it's super, it's just so fucking political. It's so political. Um, I believe he was signed to Rock Nation at the time. I don't know. But it's like, if you're not signed to the camp, chances are it's just kind of, it's a wash at the end of the day. I'm so glad I did it. But the Britney thing in particular I don't remember there being a moment where like Rodney sat us down and was like well it looks like Dr. Luke is taking this one <laughs> I don't think we talked about it I don't think we talked you were about just it. like I, well we're no uh, somebody else yeah, is working whatever. now I, I understand why that ended up happening I mean the album was very um uh what's the word I'm looking for it sounded cohesive with him doing it that way. And it was more electronic pop leaning, which is kind of, I guess, what um, either the label wanted for her or the fans wanted, whatever. There's a lot of reasons that go into making it that way. So it makes sense why Don't Keep Me Waiting with, you know, Travis Barker, more rock leaning, would be an, a bonus or, a you know, on the deluxe. It just made sense cohesively to do it that way. Um, anyway, I like answered the question, kind of. I but wasn't really aware of the switch. But yeah, it can be devastating when you do find out that something you thought you like had in the bag um, is not looking that way. There's a lot of times you'll hear that you got on the album or it's going to be a single. Hey, guys, it's going to be a single. And then it's an album cut or worst case, it's not even on the album. You'll That happens all the time. You're promised something that is it falls through. Well, and that was something like early on, a lot of the listeners said, oh, wait. So if there's only, and I always refer to it as real estate and the most realistic, there's only so much real estate on on something that you're working yeah. on. And yeah, yeah. 
And it's like, if the landlord is going to be producer A, and they have a lot of songwriters and producers that are underneath them, chances are that they're going to fill the real estate up with their yeah, own people. Absolutely. I'm not saying this happened, but if people just look through the album credits, you can oh, clearly yeah. see that. It's so, so political. Yeah. It's so political. I mean, it's all politics. And there are so many times where a lot of the songs that have been favored by the the Britney Spears fans don't keep me waiting. There was a Lindy Robbins song that when I talked to her on Broken, that so many people were like, these are the songs that we loved and yeah. for whatever reason. And then people are like, well, they could re-release it with Unbroken. It's been leaked on YouTube for a while. It's like, <laughs> Lindy's like, it's poison. No one's going to put any money to put to, she goes, people are barely paying for a new song. They're not going to pay for a song that they could get for free, even if totally. the quality is lesser and everything. Totally, 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 totally. So then let me ask you this then, how did you approach or was there a different approach for you working, you know, on songs that you knew were for Janet? And then, because in these situations, you were working for both of those individuals. Yeah, around the same time. Yeah, yeah. How did you, did you have to change your mind of what like a Britney song lyrics oh, and yeah. melody might be? Oh, yeah. And what are those things that you learned in the creative oh, space? A thousand percent. I mean... Britney was really easy for me because, again, I'd been such a longtime fan and studier of her voice. Janet, of course. I mean, like, you just are a Janet fan for no reason. Like, I just am a Janet fan. But I wasn't, I didn't study Janet's uh, voice and songs the way I had studied Britney's naturally. Um, so when it came to topics and concepts for Britney, since I was so familiar with her um with her catalog, it just kind of was effortless. It was always like I could tap into her voice really easily too. Again, just from having listened to her for so long. When it came to Janet, I remember that was the first time I had to actually go and listen to an artist and study their discography because I didn't know it like the back of my hand. Also, I was really young. Like that was more so my mom's generation um, listening to her music like that. Um, so yeah, the process was completely different. Really easy for me to tap into Britney. For Janet, I had to study what she talks about. She's a grown ass woman. Not that Brittany wasn't, but mm -hmm. totally no, different yeah. vibe, even conceptually what you can touch on and should be touching on, especially considering, you know, she was at a, a different stage in her career than Brittany was like, she, I don't know, just more mature, but also still sexy and edgy. Like you have to think about those things. You have to think about those things. Um, but yeah, different processes for sure. Yeah. Well, and that that's the fun thing is when, you know, we as fans of the music get to hear this. It's like, wow, you were working on not only like not just one song, you're working on multiple. And like Tommy even said, he's yeah. like, we would go, OK, in the morning, we'd work on this song and then maybe go, you know, what? we don't have a, you know, a bridge or anything. We'll just push that to tomorrow. Let's let's go to the next yeah, one. Yeah. That you're still able yeah. to do that manual yeah. shift in the car to go, OK, what song yeah. is this? Was there any song that stood out to you that you were proud of making during that time for Janet and for Britney? And and listeners, don't worry, we're going to be going Man. into Janet's night in a second. But yeah. was there anything that stood out to you that you're like, you know what, I'm damn proud of that song that I made for Britney and damn proud of a song that I made for Janet? To be honest, the ones that they chose weren't my favorite out of all the demos that we did. But I mean, music is subjective, so... I'm I'm still a huge fan of the songs that did end up going out. Um, I don't remember the names of a lot of these demos, but I do know there were a few for Britney that I really loved that I was like, why would they not do this? Like, it's so next level. It's a hit. <laughs> like, 
And same with Janet. There were a couple songs that I, I just personally loved, but also I was 17. Like it just might not have worked for her at that time. So yes, to answer your question, yes. But they're demos, I mean, that no one is going to hear that are locked on a fucking hard drive for sure that we stopped emailing. So yeah, there, there are songs that I really, I wish came out that I did love for sure. Well, and that's one of those things that I love because I love asking that question because so many people are like, oh, that's got to be the best one out there. And it's like, it could be as simple as there could have been 10 songs that were great, but this song was the void that needed yeah, to be filled on exactly, that album. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is sometimes, you know, and I think it was with Tommy and uh, I think it was Heather Bright where we talked and it's like they're separately, the separate yeah, interviews yeah. where they basically were like, if you touch too much on one theme, it becomes just a theme album. If you're like a one night oh, yeah. stand, one night stand, one night stand, it's like your one night stand song was good, but maybe this <laughs> other one night stand was a little yeah. better. So totally. you just decide that way. So then totally. let's let's move on to the the part with Night, because you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier you worked on now Night is from the Unbreakable album. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. And this album, you can still get in print on vinyl. So make sure that everyone gets it. And the digital version is also available on iTunes. Calvin in Moldova. He said, if you talk to Michaela Shiloh, can you ask about (laughs) Inspiration for Night by Janet Jackson? It is so good. Thank you, Michaela, for your hard work. You are genius. (laughs) No, Tommy Parker is the genius. I got to set this straight right now. Um, He sent me the song. It was already like, damn near written he was working with jimmy jam and terry lewis um at the time like in the studio with them every day um for months i think they were working on the the album and he was as so generous to be like hey i have this track it's called night i'm like mumbling on it and so he sent it i listened to it i wrote you know as much as i could fill in through the mumbles and i sent like a demo i think i sent him a demo of me singing over his mumbling and of course the lyric sheet um and then he played it for janet she kept whatever parts she wanted i don't even remember specifically the words that i contributed to i know it was in the first verse across the other side of Tommy Parker is the one that completely wrote that song. I mean, he wrote the melody, most of the fucking lyrics. Um, I don't know how much Janet participated in it. So that's more so a question for him as far as the writing of it. Um, But I do know, again, that he sent it to me. It was almost done. It was a completely different situation than Make Me, where we were starting it together from scratch. And I was heavily involved in the process of the demo and the songwriting. For that, it was almost done. And 
that happens a lot too. Like as a songwriter, you'll have other songwriter friends that have mumbled something or they're like trying to figure it out and they just want an extra ear on it, an extra hand. So that was the situation there. Um, I wish I had more information, but he is the he is the goat of that record and other songs he did on that album. Truly, I, when I you know I did a, a couple of interviews with him and I just fell in love with him as a human being. Like he's great, truly he, the whole time. And then when he does his or his Britney voice, when he does his oh, Janet yeah. voice, it's terrifying. It's- <laughs> good. I was like, he's like, yeah, they kept this part in there. And he goes, he goes, I just yeah. add these things. And uh, I forgot what song I'm brain farting right now. But where he's like, <laughs> she says, where's my cousin at? And he goes, eh, you know, and he does this whole thing. And he's I the, just remember. Tap in. It's crazy. And that was the whole thing. I just remember thinking this guy can adapt with, with Wild. that, that voice, that style. And it's also, I think that that's a strength that I see as a listener of your music where yeah. you get the artist what yeah. makes sense because a lot of times people are like oh let, let's just throw a Britney Spears in there like oh why doesn't she do 12 minute piano ballads and things like that and everyone's like but the thing is would she like doing it probably not because when right. when Britney talks about music that moved her and and she loved it was Janet Jackson it was Madonna it was and none of those people were ones that were putting out 12 minute, minute piano ballads and piano. what Britney does I think she does well and I yeah. think the discography, just like with, you know, Janet and many people say, James, sometimes I feel like you're hyper-focused on women in the arts. And I said, and what's wrong with that? What's Literally, wrong what's that? wrong with that? This is my <laughs> show. You're listening to my show. A hundred percent. Some people have opinions on shit they have not tried. That and when they're like, no, I definitely know, like, you know, Mickey wrote a hundred percent. Let's say Mickey wrote a hundred percent a night. I know. I was like, were you there? No. Do you know who? She-? No. Oh but I just God. Know. Yeah. Like, were you there? I, man, that's how I was feeling when people were going in on me on the TikTok, like, as if they were in the studio. Cause I said something in this TikTok that was like, yeah, we were writing, we wrote hundreds of songs and it sounded, I guess people thought I was saying that I've written hundreds of songs that came out on Janet and Britney. So I guess they like misconstrued mm. what I was actually talking about. I was talking about the demos that we were writing every day and that only a few actually come out anyway. But yeah, it's like, were you there? I'm confused. You're acting like you were a part of this history with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's the part, and it's like, whenever I touch upon any Britney Spears songs or producers or collaborators and Janet Jackson or Madonna, there's a lot of people that love learning about this because what I think is great is in these situations and in the situations throughout the the time of many people, it's like, these were not artists who came in and said, Mickey, here's a, you know, $50,000 check. I'm taking 100% writing. You're just not going to be, we're never going to mention your name. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen your name on all of these things which i think is a testament to the work percentage wise i don't know that's not my that's not my thing but i think what's really cool is that you've been able to work with these heavy hitters and have songs that are released but also songs that people still like these questions are from people just in the past month i reached out to specific like you know uh listeners of the show and i just said hey if i interview you know Mickey slash Michaela Shiloh, what would you what would you want? And the cool thing Aww. is, we also have more questions with you know Chantal, yeah. all these other people, Cassie yeah, and I'm everyone down to else. Go into it. I'm down to go and into I it. think what's great is that you've been shown to be somebody who's a supporter of other artists and a supporter oh, yeah. of nurturing the creatives. Yeah, I want to hop to this because we have a Colette from Brooklyn. 
Mickey mm-hmm. is the next level top tier genius that can do a melody and business to perfection. Props to her. Oh. Ask her how it feels being successful in music and business. That's from Colette in Brooklyn. Oh, Colette. I love that. Let's that talk about, good. you know, and, and here's the, here's the other question. I had people message me. Is it her drive? Is it hard drive? Is it HR drive? It's whatever I don't you want to mess it, it up. It's whatever they want it to be. No, and it's the hard sweetest drive. thing is, and the sweetest thing is, so many people are like, it makes sense if it's hard drive because hard drive got us all here. It makes sense that it's hard drive because it's music. And I think what's I've great never is people. Heard hard drive. I love that. I've heard hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> As I have a laughing fit, hors d'oeuvre. I That's love a... hard drive. It's hard drive. And so now you're like 2023. Hard yeah, drive. I love that. Oh man! Yeah, so let's 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 talk about let's talk about this because I think, yeah. and I want to play the dummy in all this. I'm going to act Please. like I have no idea because sure. I want the listeners. So, what is this? What do you do? How do people get involved? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Hard Drive is literally the world's first community-based record label. We have 4,500 artists, songwriters, producers, service providers. It's a two-sided marketplace, similar to like a Fiverr or an Upwork where you can, as an artist, sign up and get the services you need. Mixing, mastering, artwork. Um, You can submit for sync placements, TV film sync placements. My favorite part about Hard Drive is absolutely the community. Like I said, it's a community-based record label. And what that means is we're quite literally as the team on the team side, C-suite, like I'm CEO, I have my CXO, I have other core team members. We're like on the ground floor with everyone everyone. We're talking to them one-on-one. We do consultations. We have um, meetings every week, the past two years on Zoom called Music Money Mindset. You know, so we're doing masterclasses about business. We're talking about mental health. We have an in-house therapist slash mental coach, uh, mental health coach. Now um, we're doing, we just started doing fitness, uh, freaking uh, community cardio sessions twice a week. Um, it's, it's very, it's like bringing artist development back as a community. It's the oddest, most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my life. And it's just, yeah, again, it kind of goes back in the beginning. I was saying, like, I created my own music industry because the old one sucks. Like, there's no, as an artist, signing to a major record label, there's so many ways that that will not work out for you. Of course, there's the exceptions that, you know, get really good deals. They have point people that believe in them. But there's mostly 90% of artists that sign that their point person gets fired or um, they don't even ever meet the head of the label. Um, you know, they get a sh- deal where they don't own their music they're stuck in it for 10 years plus I mean that's the experience we mostly hear about right um so I created hard drive because there's no contracts it's non-exclusive you can be signed to a major label and be signed up to hard drive and use whatever services or community aspects that you want um so yeah that's that's what it is and in my eyes um, I see it as the Amazon of music and not in terms of e-commerce. I mean how Amazon completely disrupted an industry, the e-commerce industry. Hard drive is going to absolutely disrupt the way that record labels operate in the near future. And you already see different companies popping up doing what we do and trying to do what we do. I'm not going to mention any names, um, but we've been doing this now for four years. And to say that we're the best, I know that's true. Our customer service and support is like next 
fucking level. I've never seen anything like it. I'm just very honored to be able to work with people that have the same mission as me, just making a better, fairer, more transparent music business and giving artists the tools that they need to succeed by their own merits and not, you know, you don't have to get go and get a Grammy to be successful. You can absolutely affect millions of lives with just a thousand true fans. Literally, mm -hmm. you don't need millions of followers to affect a million people um so yeah anyway I could go on all day about that well and that's something that I thought was important because so many times I think people for a while they thought pie in the sky number one a Grammy this and that and mm -hmm. I would ask people I'm like name some of your artists to me and they'd be like I like Tori Amos or I like Bjork or Katy Perry I'm like they don't have Grammys I was like mm -hmm. and so and things might have changed I don't I don't think so or anything and Damn, not in a shady mm -mm. and so I go so I go and that's not a shady thing to her. It's me saying, but see, she's had a career. She's had number ones. These artists yeah, have made huge impacts in music. And I just go, so if you want the Grammy for Grammy's sake, go for it. Yeah, but that totally. doesn't make you. And the other thing too is that Grammy does not pay your bills. That Grammy is not going to, you know, it's what an outside group gives to you. And I think what I've liked is in seeing, you know, your, your, instagrams and tiktoks and everything i like the fact that and i don't want to say keep it real because that, that i feel like that phrase is done but you've kept it <laughs> honest and and yeah. i don't want to say brutally honest but the the you're not trying to sugarcoat anything because no one no. wins in right. just delaying the inevitable about the truth right and totally. i think what i've loved is the transparency that you've had in talking about you've had the high highs you've had the low lows you've had these great contracts at times these terrible mm -hmm. contracts at times and that yeah. that it, you could be the smartest person still go i i chose a instead of b and now i'm yeah. screwed yeah. for this thing yeah and what i like is when i see platforms communities that are like musician based for yeah. musicians artist yeah. based because i'm not going to start any of those because i'm my <laughs> my artistic thing isn't buying that is yeah. my music i love that, that. Is my music thing that is that is that is my music contribution yeah um and I forgot one of the guests was like, and this is why we're here because you do this. <laughs> like we can pay our bills for that. Yes. But I, think, but I think what's important is that you've created something that's disrupting and it's ruffling a lot of feathers. Mm -hmm. And that makes you an easy target for people to be like, oh, well, what mm -hmm. does she know? And I'm like, open up TikTok and you'll see everything she knows. Like, uh, And I'm so mad. I have, um, well, I don't have to do TikTok, but I just started intentionally posting like less than a week ago. Um, I wasn't paying attention to TikTok at all for the past year or two that I've had a profile on there. Um, but I realized I went from just 700 followers the other day to like 1400 today, like five days ago. So I do understand the discoverability factor on there. So, I mean, my goal is to get to 10,000 followers by the end of this year. It just naturally, you know, like just posting more clips about, you know, what I know, business tips, entrepreneur tips, um, songwriting tips. I noticed the tips are are the best um, for engagement and just upping the followership. And it's not about the number of followers. It's really like, I realized I had to make a, a decision because I've been so anti TikTok because I felt like it was ego. Like, I don't, don't really care about the followers that I have. But then I was like, I, my whole purpose is to impact people. So I do actually need to care that I'm reaching as many people as I can. So that was a big shift in mindset that I had recently. Yeah. And what anyway. I've realized with with the TikToks and everything is that there's a lot of people who we will never know their names that had contracts or were about to get contracts that are like, 
what do I do? How do am I the only one? Because we love in the United States to hear success stories. That is the smallest portion of stories. Yeah. You know, and I think it was like uh, here in Chicago, I think it was like Michael Jordan, who was like, you think about all these rings and all these wins. He's like, but I lost a ton of games. I lost. I didn't hit. Exactly. And to me, that's the most realistic thing, too, is going there. There's sweat equity. Yes, of course. And everything. There's also there's going to be no's and no's and no's. And that's okay. But that you just still need to keep doing it. And to your point, figure out how to stay relevant that Mm -hmm. way. Where if you want people to get your information, how do I get that new generation of people? Yep. And I I follow people on TikTok that I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like this person is talking about they worked on this song or they did that yeah. song. And for me, yeah. those tidbits are really great. And also I'm like, oh, cool. And to me, this is a more legitimate way to find songwriters, producers that we all love and hear from them yeah. than somebody updating and fake updating on Wikipedia and things like that, where they're like, oh, yeah, I wrote all these songs for Mickey. Sign yeah. James Rodriguez. I wrote ah! all this. <laughs> like I'm it's done. me. No, I'm but done. uh I just think it's it's great. And I also feel like so many times we've dealt with just the print of everything. Here's my interview with yeah. Michaela, and it's out there, and people are like, okay, I'm just reading it. But when you hear somebody, it's different, yeah. It, it holds more weight, and that's why totally when I see your and I was talking to Maya Maria about this, I was like, you know, when when I see you speak the truth and it's like, you're not telling things what people want to hear, which is the disruptor no. part. And, right. and, you know, Maya, John, everyone is like, because she's been there. She's seen it all. Oh, she does not that. need to help out anyone else. She does. She does not need to prove herself. Her, she is her own, you know, resume. What you see is right. what you get. And I think, that right. part was really cool. And it's like, when you do that, you're going to have a lot of pushback. You're going to have people that are like, oh, what does she know? What does she? And you're like, what yeah. do I know? I've only been in the studio with right, these people. Right. What do I know? I've right. only had my own contract. Right. Yeah. It's, man, you really nailed it. It's, uh, I wish that I had documented even more back then because you don't realize how much, you know, it'll be valuable later when people are like, yeah, what have you done? It's like, damn, dude, you don't even know the amount of rooms that I've been in that just went undocumented. Thankfully, I do have a lot of stuff. Yeah, I love that. See, so everyone have no fear. We have more with Michaela Shiloh coming up very soon. And if you have any questions, remember, you can go to the original scroll down to the message thing. Put your favorite song. Why it's your favorite song. Put a question, anything you've ever wondered, put it in there so that I can share these love letters with the guests. So Michaela, how do we find you on socials? What is the best way to find you and hors d'oeuvre, hard drive, hard drive? Hard drive. Um, Hard drive is HRDRV on all socials, damn near. And then unfortunately, my name on all socials is still my old industry name, which is Mickey Shiloh. So M-I-C-K-E-Y-S-H-I-L-O-H on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, all of the things. So I'm really easy to, to reach out to. Um, I'm better on email. So my email is Mickey at MickeyShiloh.com as far as like business inquiries and stuff. I don't always check my DMs. Um, so that's the best way to get in touch with me. But yeah, I, I would love to help anyone listening that, you know, wants to get started in music or is at a plateau. Um, that's my job. That's my job. So. And yeah. and listeners, don't try to send an email saying that you're a manager or anything <laughs> of any artist or anything That will like get that. unread. That will be unread <laughs> and in the junk mail immediately. <laughs> 
That's the, I've I've seen so many of the guests like show me the the DMs or the emails oh, of all God. this craziness. I'll like, forward and, them to you. And and the the funniest thing is when like somebody spells Britney B R I T T A N E Y and it's like oh. I'm Larry Rudolph with an F at the end of Rudolph. <laughs> and I was like, okay, guys, do uh, come on, your... guys, try a little harder here. <laughs> all right, all right, everyone, have no fear. We will be back. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this interview, follow me for more. And if you want to hear more of Tommy Parker's involvement in Make Me and Don't Keep Me Waiting and more. Go ahead and find the original Dowell James Rodriguez on your preferred streaming platform and scroll through the song list. And I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much once again for Michaela Shiloh. If you have any questions for her, go to www.theoriginaldoll.com. Scroll all the way down to the comment section. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much again. If you want to join the Patreon community, go ahead and go to it at our official website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. I'm going to leave you right now with my theme song, Iconography. See you on the flip side. The original.